Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast, where we discuss the business of cybersecurity. Here are your co-hosts and cybersecurity experts, Brian Horning, Reginald Andre, and Randy Bryan. I may go extra long just for Randy. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Security Squawk Podcast. We don't have to introduce ourselves because that's already been done by our intro, but welcome to another episode where we help you understand what's going on out there with cybersecurity and how you can better protect yourselves. Remember, our fee for the show is simple. If we do anything to educate you, enlighten you, any of that good stuff, anything positive that comes out of this for you, we just appreciate that you share, rate, or uh, download the show wherever you can. Uh, we, we are on all the podcasting platforms as well as social media like Facebook and YouTube. So wherever you happen to find us, uh, give us a like, give us a comment, drop your comments in today. We are live. We will answer questions live and throw them up, uh, up on the screen as we roll through the show today. Um, and basically today's format is called cruise the internet. We're just going to roll through, uh, articles that we found that, that were interesting, dive into what they say, and then dissect them with our own thoughts, opinions, and, and expertise. Um, uh, outside of that, how you guys doing? Welcome to another week. Staying dry. And I got, I finally got gas here in South Florida. Yeah. Um, so what's going on with that? I don't know how I missed that. So, yeah, why don't you explain to people what you mean? Yeah, since last week, there was uh, not even a – it's not even hurricane season, but uh, just about four feet of water just drenching for days and days and days. And um, that uh, caused a lot of disruption here in uh, Flatline, Florida. And then from there, the even the airports were closed um, for a couple of days. Wow. Then, um, now we have a gas – Not I don't want to say a shortage, but we have a lack of gas because – uh, where we get the where we get the oil from the distribution center that that was flooded for a couple of days so the tankers couldn't go and get it so now people are waiting in line for 20 minutes dang in texas yeah. we call that a rain bomb when we get four feet of rain yeah it doesn't happen much but when it does it is devastating i don't know what we call that here i think it's just uh a lot of rain <laughs> but so here we go um we got a lot to talk about, so we're going to jump right into it. As I mentioned, if you're watching us or seeing us on social media, you can drop a message in the comments. And if it feeds over to us in our podcasting platform, which we use StreamYard, so you may have to give that permission to allow us to see your comments. But if you do that, we pop them up on the screen here and we'll try to answer them the best we can. Um, dig right into it. This goo loader. What is, I don't know. This is that's a weird one, Randy. Where'd you find this one? Um, <laughs> Guloader, uh, with the tax season in full full swing, threat actors are setting eyes on financial organizations, according to the latest cybersecurity reports. U.S. accounting firms and other financial institutions have fallen prey to a series of adversary campaigns spreading Guloader malware since March of 2022. Uh, threat actors spread the Google or malicious samples by leveraging a phishing attack vector and tax-themed lure. 
Taking advantage of taxis, in threat actors attempt to rely on a combination of sophisticated attacks and social engineering to lure victims to access valuable financial data. To secure critical organizational assets and time and timely identify possible intrusions, security practitioners require a trusted source of detection content. Randy, that's a lot of words. Can you help me understand what is in here? It is a ton of words. The gist of the article is that they're taking, basically taking advantage of the fact that it's tax season and they're targeting U.S. financial organizations with phishing emails. Obviously, an email is an email is an email, but then with a link in the email or an attachment, um, they're going to probably wind you through a couple of legit looking places to where then you end up downloading this, this malware. Um, so that might be like a link to a OneNote or a link to a SharePoint or something like that. And then you go to that. And the next thing you know, you're opening up a PDF or something. And maybe the PDF is either infected itself or it's got you know a link on it. Short story long, they're taking advantage of the fact that it is tax season. Um, the thing that's kind of crazy about this article as well is that here in the States, we have the finalization of some specific rules regarding financial organizations. Um, it's called the FTC safe, safeguards rule. It's basically a ruling from the FTC regarding organizations like this um, about how they need to be cyber secure to protect their employees information. And so it's, it's ironic, I guess, that there's a, you know, a huge push from the criminals to try to, to breach some of these organizations. And in less than two months, we have a ton of rules from the government coming down, basically requiring them to have, you know, what we call full stack cybersecurity, where they're not just uh, playing around. Yeah, and this article uh, goes on to say, and it's interesting because this goo loader is also known as CloudEye, um, and it's been observed out there specifically targeting, as we mentioned, the U.S. financial sector. But one of the interesting things about this is the malware kind of acts a little bit like uh, command and control, like Cobalt Blue, right? Once they have this on your system, it's kind of like an octopus. It has like eight different tentacles that can reach out and do different things. So it can it can bring in info stealers like key loggers and remote access tro trojans. Um, it can also do automated phishing attacks on you know other people in your organization. Um, it can manipulate. Um, the registry to get persistent access. So when you reboot the computer, they always have access uh, to the system. So there's a lot of different things that this malware can do. That's why it's pretty serious and why we wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. Uh, and yes, it could eventually lead to ransomware. It's not like you're downloading this and getting ransomware, but you're downloading this and it could potentially lead to ransomware or it could lead to further access of other systems on your network or your email. So, um, Andre, any thoughts here on what users can do to kind of prevent this kind of stuff or, or what they should do if, if they potentially clicked on something that, you know, downloaded this? Well, obviously, we're going to say, you know, be careful and watch what you click on and evaluate your emails. But 
what happens when the user does click on this? Well, a lot of, uh, well, first I'm going to start off by saying this is why you have to create that culture. We preach it every week. One of the reasons we do this podcast, because tax season is coming. This is, well, tax season is here, right? Some people stroke the check today or yesterday, but it's important to um, inform your employees. Like, look, watch out for these emails. Be careful because if not, this is, this can be what happens. And if they click on it, I've been in the scenarios where we've had clients click on it. And then from there, this stuff spreads like wildfire. So culture is the most important thing to prevent these type of things. So that way your employees know that they should be on the lookout for these type of emails. Yeah. And this malware is also super sophisticated. And I, and I, and I'm, I don't say that lightly. Like I'm usually the one on the show who's making fun of the term when they say sophisticated. But this is some pretty damn sophisticated malware. Yeah, it is. Yeah, um, it is has the ability to evade detection tools and things like that. So whoever's behind this, put a lot of thought into it. Cause basically it's like, once we get this malware onto a system, we want to be able to have a lot of different options that we can do with it. And we don't want to be detected. And they've thought about all these things and written a piece of software that does a pretty damn good job of it. According to a lot of the reports I've been reading. So moving right along. Well, and you know, um, well, to add back to that, uh, Brian, that's and and really to tack on to what Andre said, that's really why that culture of cybersecurity and the training is so important. Because at the end of the day, we may not even have something out there sophisticated enough to stop this. And it may really require the fact that a person just deletes the email instead of clicking on it, or, you know, maybe you've got process control in place or something like that, but still bottom line is it, that, that person may be the front line to this, not infecting your organizations. So that's, that's why that training is so important. Yeah. This is one of those things where a CEO gets ransomware, you know, they do a forensic investigation. It goes back to that they had this malware on there for a long time, right? Um, this is one of those things that they're going to sit on the systems for a while before they do something like ransomware. Uh, and, you know, and the CEO is like, oh, you know, we invest in cybersecurity. We do all this stuff, but these things still can happen. You could have the best damn cybersecurity in the world. You get something like this in your network, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, and so don't, you know, nobody should sleep well at night thinking they, that they have good cybersecurity or they have something in place that's going to, you know, prevent a problem in their business because there's things like this out there and there's zero days that we have to deal with that are the tools that we use do not protect against those things. So moving right along, uh, like our favorite subject the last quarter, it's been this yeah. Suffolk County um, back at it. Was this on Friday that you messaged me on this, Randy? Was this a Friday afternoon press conference where they just man? Started? I think so. Yeah, <laughs> it was like a Friday afternoon because you're messaging me and I'm sitting here going, "Who's having a press conference on Friday afternoon, updating everybody on their cyber attack?" Um, but Suffolk County did. Um, so uh, they're basically releasing their report because um, they probably were going to have to anyway through. Uh, uh, Freedom of Information Act uh, you know, uh, request that somebody would probably put in. So they just got ahead of that and released this information to the public. 
139 systems were compromised and 71 of them were compromised with ransomware. Uh, this affected the clerk, county, health, and sheriff domains. Uh, and county officials would not release more details about the type of sensitive data that was stolen, but a uh, Team 12, it's a news station there locally, investigates how previously reported that it included at least 26,000 social security numbers and more than 470,000 driver's license numbers. Uh, the forensic analysis discovered that cyber criminals gained entry into a county system by mining a software flaw known as Log4J vulnerability in the county clerk's system. County Executive Steve Ballone said that the security weakness was known ignored by and ignored by the clerk's office for seven months. The main causes of this cyber attack are clear, said Ballone. It is a failure to address the Log4J vulnerability in the clerk's office. The unprotected iron key folder on the clerk's network, the clerk's segregated IT structure, and them withholding information, everything else is a distraction from the truth. Um, the clerk's IT director went on to say that he has been on paid administrative leave since December. County officials said he did not implement critical security upgrades, ignored red flags of a cyber threat, and obstructed access, access to their systems after September after the September 8th cyber attack, which allegedly delayed the restoration and recovery process by months. Wow. There is so much to unpack in those two paragraphs. It's mm -hmm. not even funny. So let's just go here, go there and do that. How is he on uh, paid leave? That's what I don't understand. Inspired him, right? <laughs> well, it depends. Like sometimes like with that kind of stuff, they are you're on paid leave, but you're just basically using up your PTO time because uh, you're on your way out the door. Yeah. Um, so they're like, here, just we're going to have to write you a check anyway. So go out on PTO until but you're, you're chewing in your PTO balance typically if you have it in those situations. Um, so let's go back guys. Log 4J. We've known about it for a long time. December, 2021. I'll tell you a story. Um, I'm in the Philadelphia market. I'm not going to name the MSP, but we just took over a client from an MSP. And the minute we put our tools on their network, it was flagged for seven instances of log 4J. Hmm. And we quickly patched those in about an hour. Wow. So it wasn't because anything other than they just didn't address it, <clears throat> which is, I mean, I, I mean, guys, let me ask you this. I'm, I'm just curious for, from your perspective. I just know how I would handle it as a business owner of an MSP. And I'm, I know I've known you guys for a long time. I'm pretty sure I know your answer. So I'm going to toss you a softball here. <clears throat> like you get a, a, a ding back from a tool that says lock for J's present on this system. Are you guys like just taking care of that? Cause it, yeah, if it's, when, if it's within reason. Yeah. You just, you need to do it. That's right. We do that for all vulnerabilities. Like we find them and we raise tickets for them. And you know, sometimes well, we'll, like for log for J we had, we had all kinds of stuff. Other times that we just find one on one system and you just, I mean, I guess it depends on the extent of what's involved in the remediation of that vulnerability. But we found with Log4J, a lot of times it's just making sure that the software is up to date. 
Um, you know, a lot, or, or, and this is just this vulnerability I'm speaking of, or it's just remove it from the, the network because it's legacy and it's not going to get patched. So, you know, isolate it or, or get rid of it. Um, but like log4j is such a simple fix in a lot of cases that we're just going to take care of it. Like, we're not going to come to you and say, Hey, you know, we found this vulnerability, you know, we need your permission to do this upgrade or, you know, we're going to do it as a project and there's going to be an additional fee. Unless they're a developer, well, unless they're a developer, they're they're not going to need log4j anyway. Right. Nobody. Well, when it first came out, every ubiquity uh, controller out there had log4j running on it and was vulnerable. And that's mm-hmm. what we found in this network when we took it over. They had four ubiquity controllers running on different servers or computers on the network. And we, we every instance was outdated and had a log4j vulnerability on it. So um, it doesn't necessarily mean you're a developer. They, the, the software like ubiquity in this case could have used log4j within its firmware or within its software. And if that's not patched with the latest version, you're going to have that vulnerability so, on your network. What is log4j? I mean, if someone's just tuning in now, they'd have no yeah. idea. And we're like the nerds just throwing it around like everybody knows. But so the you know, the simple answer to that is you know think, what it is. Think think of log4j as the vulnerability similar to like the Microsoft Exchange. It's a there it's there's a vulnerable piece of software, but log4j happen to be in a in in an instance of java right so java it's like a developer reporting module correct for use, so, used for uh like for debugging and stuff like that correct but you can you can have that developer module for logging embedded in regular software so you're getting those like that logging information uh, you know, as part of your software in there and that, and people don't realize that that could be in their software, right? A lot of things have to exist for log4j to be like successfully exploited, but people don't understand that like, this isn't something you have to install from Java. Like you're a developer or another piece of software could have installed as part of the package. Yeah. And you don't know you have it on the system. Uh, unless you do a particular scan that finds the vulnerable log4j code. So when we take over a system, we automatically put rules in place. If it even before we do any remediation, if it has log4j, it's instantly ring fenced, which means it can't phone home, it can't dial out, which is what that means, and it's basically neutered at that point. It can't do anything. Um, and even before remediation, we we do that part. So. Yeah. And, and I would say this was kind of a, a, a easy fix, too, because um, we have a lot of our clients that had Johnson control for HVAC control for their buildings. And we found that a lot. And we contacted them and they told us exactly. They gave us the steps. Yep, we know about it. Do this, do this. And in some instances, we had to reinstall the software. But to show back to this IT administrator, just like the incompetence, the laziness, the lack of resources, we don't know what it is, but it wasn't something that was extremely difficult to address so a couple other things i want to kind of talk about as uh, you know when when i just read those few paragraphs there um stuff that we talk about all the time on this show guys that we try to warn people about that i I don't think 
most people understand the gravity of the situation and how the laws are changing behind the scenes at a very rapid pace that make what I'm about to say even truer and truer every single day. But again, these guys are victims of a criminal act by cyber criminals, right? But at the end of the day, who's being held responsible? It's not the cyber criminals, right? It's the people who were in charge, the people who knew. So here we have the IT director. He's going to lose his job uh, more than likely. And you basically have um, people who are coming out against the organization saying they didn't do enough to protect these systems. Um, And that's how this is going down. So it's, you know, again, the victim, the real victim here is being shamed uh, in this article by people who are involved and people think like, oh, I have cyber insurance. Well, look, cyber insurance is there for two reasons. Yes, to, you know, be there for you and hope, you know, hopefully pay out your claim if they don't find anything wrong. But they're there to find fault and blame so they don't have to pay. And they have a good case here against Suffolk County to not pay their claims if they have cyber insurance. Right. That's all in play here. I'm not crazy. Right. <laughs> You're not crazy, no. Uh, but the re- I mean, the victim, the real victim is the people that the twenty six thousand social security numbers and four hundred seventy thousand driver license. Well, and also the people of Suffolk County who are going to have to foot the bill from a tax standpoint to pay well, for this. Huh. Here comes lawsuits. Yeah, they, and they hired Palo Alto. I'll just um, yeah. give you a hint of what they cost. They cost a lot more for this incident then probably two to five years of just having full stack cybersecurity going on in Suffolk County. So, yeah. And, and do the math. They've been involved since September. It's April. Yeah. So you're talking eight months that they've been footing the bill for Palo Alto mm-hmm. incident response. <clears throat> Ouch. So um, I do remember in that previous malware Mm-hmm. Um, that we discussed, they did mention log4j vulnerabilities is one of the things they take advantage of. And I wonder if, if that's, if that was that, that malware was here, what was it called? Gulap or something like that. I wonder if that's what was uh, here or did they say which malware or ransomware that it was? It's Guloader. And I, I mean, they're supposedly only targeting financial services firms. So I don't know. I forget uh, who was responsible no for Suffolk County. I know it did come out though. Right. Um, at the time, I I can't I can't remember who it was. Um, there's so many of them, and they change so much. I can't remember, and I won't. So, anything else you guys want to add to that before we move on? No. All right. So Lockbit. Everybody who's got a Mac and thinks that their Macs are like. Right. end all be all to their cybersecurity. Well, Lockbit figured out how to make money off you guys too. So um, Lockbit ransomware now targeting Mac OS devices. And uh, flip this up here. Threat actors behind Lockbit ransomware operation have developed new artifacts that can encrypt uh, files on devices running Apple's Mac OS operating system. 
development, which was reported by the Malware Hunter team over the weekend, appears to be the first time a big game ransomware crew has created a Mac OS-based payload. Um, additional samples identified by VX Underground show that the Mac OS variant has been available since November 11, 2022, and has managed to evade detection by anti-malware engines until now. Uh, Lockbit is a prolific cybercrime crew with ties to Russia and has been active since late 2019 with the threat actors releasing two major updates to the locker in 2021 and 2022. So pretty straightforward, guys. I don't know if we can spend a lot of time commenting on this. I've, you know, I've been warning people for a long time that Macs are not more secure and it's no, no reason to use a Mac. Um, you know, that was probably true maybe 15 years ago that Macs were more secure than Windows, but they're equally insecure now. Yeah, uh, I mean, <laughs> more of the, the, it was really a myth, right? It was just more, not that it was more secure, it was just that there was more Windows. There's still more Windows out there. So the- Larger the, share. Yeah, larger share. So um, they're just basically putting all their resources and attention, but- um, You gotta the money is. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah. So now, um, so there's a lot of a lot of cocky Mac business owners out there that think that they don't need antivirus, they don't need cybersecurity, and once um, Lockbit finishes this test mode it, that they're in now and starts putting this out, you better have your time machine backups going. Well, also, yeah. So I think they're. I don't know the latest. Last I read, they were like eight percent of the market or six percent of the market of like the personal computer market. What, what I've always said is having a Mac is like being behind a small wall in a war. So like imagine a big old war going on in front of you. That's like, you know, five square miles. You're over there behind that little bitty wall. Well, nobody is shooting their tanks at the little wall because they're shooting their tanks at the other tanks. The, the, the bottom line of what I'm trying to say is it's, it's a fake sense of security. You're not safe behind the small wall. I'm a Mac user, by the way. I run into Mac users all the time that ask that literal question. They're like, so I use a Mac that means I'm more secure, right? Um, one time I was involved in a um, helping someone get unhacked who um, they had Macs and the, uh, the malware actually infected the BIOSes of the Mac machines. And we showed up at the Apple store and I first mentioned that um, we were surrounded by geniuses really fast because um, they didn't want people to know that they they're they're still computers. That's the bottom line. At the end of the day, they're computers. They're made by people. And yes, they're doing a lot of great things. This article goes into it. Apple does a lot of great things to try to stay secure. Um, but at the end of the day, um, it's still a machine. It's made by humans and there's still vulnerabilities that are out there. And there's so, still thousands, if not tens of thousands of people working on those devices every day to try to get around whatever yep. they're putting in place. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No different than any other technology that's out there. But exactly. If you, if you think cyber criminals have given up on exploiting Mac OS or iOS, here's, here's proof that that is not the case. Right. All right. It's all you, Randy. What do you mean? Oh, on the next article? All right. So the uh, next article is, ooh, this is a, uh, this is a good one. So we're going to talk about how 
a ransomware attack can cost enterprises um, so much money, up to 30% of operating income. So the article says the financial impact of a ransomware attack can cost businesses up to 30% of their operating income with smaller enterprises hit proportionally harder. So what does that mean? That means a small, it might cost a million dollars for a business anywhere from zero to 50 to get out of an incident. Well, if you've got four employees, it's going to hit you a lot harder than if you have, potentially can hit you a lot harder than if you have 50 employees. A new report from Threat Connect looks at the financial impact of ransomware attacks on small, 500 million, medium, 1.5 billion, and large, 15 billion organizations with healthcare, manufacturing, and utilities. The report examined thousands of companies in the three industries, analyzing tens of thousands of losses from around the world. Threat Connect has estimated median hits to operating incomes. So bottom, bottom line is malware, ransomware can be very expensive um, for a lot of reasons. We probably ought to dive into that real yeah. quick. Like what are the different reasons that it costs so much money? Yeah, so it's they're saying it for small businesses, which I would assume are, you know, probably two thousand employees or less. You're go, you're probably going to be around thirty percent of your operating revenue is what your your what your costs are going to be, and as you move into mid market and enterprise, it, it starts to go down. But you're talking about you know four point nine two percent for an enterprise level company. They're doing billion dollars in revenue. Right. So 4% of a billion versus 4% of 200 million or 30% of 200 million, you know, you're taking a bigger hit at the small, at the smaller businesses. And quite frankly, smaller businesses are, are, are least prepared to deal with this kind of stuff in most cases. So that only drives up your costs. Right. So, um, tons of information, tons of statistics in this report, which it really is eye opening for me. Um, it just goes on to say manufacturing fares a little better for smaller companies, despite um, being the most attacked industry uh, at 20%, um, but worse for medium and large ones. So um, it's just, you know, all over the map for healthcare, manufacturing, utilities, um, all the numbers are, are around the same. So you're probably looking at somewhere between 30 to 15% of your operating revenue if you have to deal with one of these things. Um, the article also goes on to point out, rightfully so, and we talk about this all the time on the show, while the losses to cyber attacks impact the current fiscal year, they can also linger and impact current and future years as costs. Uh, these include legal fees, settlements, and brand damage, the effects of which can take time to materialize, which is all stuff that we've been saying for a long time now on this show. This stuff is a when you get hit with a data breach or ransomware, it's a long, slow, painful death for your business. And this yeah. article has the data to back that up. Go ahead. Yeah, even if you look at the last article, uh, the second to last article we we're just talking about, Suffolk County, they had 139 systems that were encrypted and 70, excuse me, 139 systems were compromised and 71 were encrypted. So that you're talking 210 brand new computers because there there's an investigation process that happens and those computers can't be used. So in that their case, you have to purchase 210 brand new computers for the employees to work. So if something happens to your business and now they're doing an investigation, 
those computers can't be used. You got to instantly go somewhere, get new computers, get IT to set them up. So there's there's so much cost to that. Yeah, I mean, we have we have a hard time getting most of our customers to rotate 10% of their computers on an annual basis. Imagine having to do it all at once. Mm-hmm. So, Randy, you were looking like you wanted to say something there. You're good. I was just shaking my head. Yes. Yeah. So uh, ransomware attack, guys. So ransomware on that article, uh, you know, the costs are there. We've been warning people about it. And, you know, I guess our, our moral of our story is prevention is cheaper than cure. Remember that. So um, ransomware attack hits payment giant NCR. NCR is a huge provider of POS systems for a lot of restaurants out there. Um, last I checked, I think they had 100,000 clients. Uh, that uh, that includes franchises and small businesses that are just like one restaurant. Um, massive, massive breach. Um, restaurants have had to go to social media to post to customers that they're not able to service them uh, like they normally would because of these systems being down. And basically... NCR basically provides a lot of different services for these restaurants to operate back end type technology. Uh, think payroll, think ordering, um, you know, those types of things are all, it's not just you paying at the register that these systems take care of for these businesses. It's running the whole back end of the business as well. And these companies can't do that today because they're dealing with ransomware. Yeah, we, we actually have one, we have one customer who's a, they're a cafe that uses the Aloha system. Uh, thankfully, they didn't call us or, or report anything, but I could just imagine if they went down and they couldn't, you know, process their, their payments or, you know, or customs orders, they're, they're, they're done. And going back to that 30% statistic we just read, right? Now all of your food is going to be going to waste. You still, do you pay your employees? And there's just so much um, cost that's involved, so. Did but you, in this case, it wouldn't have been their fault. It's just a supply chain. Right. Did you say that they use this? They they use they do use a Loha system, which is on the back end with the NCR, but we didn't hear any reports from them. Yeah, according to according to uh, NCR, um, it only affects specific functionality and then no impact to being able to receive payments or their on premise uh, systems. So it's it's like the back end of Aloha is the NCR stuff that was hit, but you can still at least sell your food and run your business uh, currently. So my customer customer does have a backup square account just in case, worst case, they have a printout of the menu, old fashioned calculator and just, you know, at least have a backup as well. Yeah. Fortunately for, they can still process payments. It seems it's just all the backend stuff that they, they can't deal with, which is, which is a pain, right? Um, you know, and the, and the one thing that I kind of took away from this whole incident, guys, is, you know, when it comes to the restaurant industry, they, these hackers kind of, it's so kind of uh, fascinating to me how, and maybe it's just dumb luck. I don't know, but it's fascinating to me right now how these hackers know how to attack certain sectors, right? We don't see a ton of restaurants being attacked. But what we do see in the restaurant and hospitality industry, their suppliers being attacked, right? We had the chicken thing a couple of weeks ago, Randy, um, that we talked about. Uh, and now we have this, like 
restaurant things that restaurants need to operate are the targets for these cyber criminals that that's what they know we can shut down a bunch of restaurants we're going to create a pr nightmare for not only the restaurant but the restaurant supplier because you know the restaurant isn't going to say hey you know our systems are down we got hacked they're going to say hey a, a supplier that we use like ncr um you know they got hacked and we can't service you like we would uh, and that's that's what I've observed. I don't know if you guys see anything different or agree, but that's kind of what I see in the restaurant industry. It's like, you know, restaurants are a low target, a low, you know, they're rarely going to get hit in most cases. Um, you know, even if they get access and they realize, oh, there's, there's like three or four computers in this restaurant, there's, there's not a lot here. It's not worth it. Um, but when they get their hands on a company like this, they're, they're definitely going for a payday. So, anything else you guys want to add to that? No, Randy's like, move right along, please. So, uh, Randy, you kind of mentioned this at the top of the show, and I don't know if you did that on purpose. But um, next article here is email is the most common entry point for ransomware attacks. According to our friends over at Barracuda Networks, 27% of organizations feel ill-prepared to handle ransomware attacks um anybody read this article yet so i can stop talking and get a drink yeah i mean i i mean <laughs> we can we can just read it um in the past 12 months around three quarters of organizations reported being hit by a ransomware attack and 38 percent were hit twice um according to barracuda which reported the email was the starting point for 69 percent of companies hit by ransomware you know, we record, we reported on this, like in the last year, um, we had basically at one point reported, um, and we call these business email compromises, BEC. At one point we, were, we reported that BEC was on top. Um, and, and then we, we had a little period around, what was it like the end of last summer where um, the most unsexiest of all the cybersecurity um, things, which is patching, um, we found that taking taking advantage of vulnerabilities was like coming on hard and fast. I think some people said it was moving into number one, but we're really seeing over the course of the past year, the trend is really, no matter what's kind of happened, you know, short term or whatever, trend really seems to be business email compromise. It's a great, it's a great way. I don't know if it's the right word, but it's a good way for criminals to get inside of an organization. Um, it's an effective way. I guess that's the way to say it. People have fatigue from seeing so many. There's certain times when you can bring in software that has a, you know, it's a zero day. It can't be detected. There's a lot of people with unpatched stuff that you can have a link, link in the email that can take advantage of unpatched, you know, things in the network, like the log4j that we mentioned. So yeah, time and time again, this is just proven. This is the most popular way, if you will, for, the criminals to get into your networks. It's always people. You can have the best firewall, the best antivirus, the best, you know, uh, all, all of the best on the system. Just takes that one click, goes in, the bad guys are one step ahead of the good guys and havoc happens on your network. So it's amazing to me that almost 48% of organizations were hit again. Um, that's wild. Um, you know, and, and, and this is in the past 12 months. And that is, as Randy kind of pointed out with the 
with everything kind of originating from emails, the more employees you have, the, the percentage goes up. Um, so it just look at the data that's in front of you. If you have a, more than 250 employees, the chances of you getting hit with ransomware increased to 75% from 69% if you have less. It's still in the 70s. So 70% of ransomware is going to come through the email. So where are you going to spend your money if you're looking at solutions to fix this problem? Yeah, you're going to want to invest in technology that helps reduce the amount of stuff that gets through. But as Andre said, you got to train your employees. You got to teach them what things look like. What are what are the kind of current and hot scams that are going on right now? Uh, we mentioned one earlier on the show where it's targeting financial uh, services. So every financial services company should could could take our podcast and shoot that out to all their employees and say, listen to what these guys are saying about this malware that's targeting our industry. This is how you get information in front of your employees. There's plenty of it out there, but most companies, I think, do nothing. Yep. And that's why these numbers look, look the way that they do. The, the disturbing number for more than one reason, it's just the number of people that don't feel fully prepared. For So when 25% say they don't feel fully prepared, it's disturbing that 25% of the people feel like that but it's also disturbing that only 25% of the people feel like that because we know that number's a lot larger than 25%. But at the end of the day, imagine if you knew better, but weren't there and you just know you're not prepared. That's got to be a horrifying feeling. Yes, it do. I, I agree with you 100%. So last topic as we roll into our last topic and going into 45 minutes this one's more for our friends in in the space but also you know talk about how this impacts businesses that we serve right so um i think we all commented when we pulled this article up that we've never heard of this particular rmm at least i haven't i think randy said he have it i don't know if andre's ever heard of it but it doesn't matter what RMM it is, quite frankly, in my mind. This happens to be Action One. We've had other RMM tools um, be affected in the past. Probably the most famous one is Kaseya. Um, an RMM tool is basically if you work with a managed service provider or potentially maybe your own internal IT department, uses a tool where they can manage all of the computers and assets that you have in your organization. Remote monitoring and management tool, that's what RMM stands for, is just a fancy term for a piece of software that basically has God mode on your network that allows administrators to do things from a centralized location and use things like scripts and stuff like that to automate and do things very easily, uh, which helps save businesses time and money. Well, that tool also comes with a dark side, which is if some bad actor gets control of it, they can do a lot of damage. So as we saw in this article here, hackers are now abusing this particular RMM action one and security researchers are warning that cyber criminals are increasingly using action one remote access software for persistence on compromised networks and to execute command scripts and binaries. 
Action One is a remote monitoring and management product that is commonly used by managed service providers and the enterprise to remotely manage endpoints on a network. If uh, the software allows admins, I already mentioned all this stuff, so I'm going to skip it. Um, running and, and it allows you to do all kinds of stuff, and they're now running binaries to infect systems uh, once they get this software on there. So, I mean, <clears throat> ultimately, if you're a bad actor, I mean, dude, it's no different than what we do, quite frankly, as I'm thinking about this. Like, as soon like if we're taking over for another MSP, what's the first thing we're doing? We're getting our tools on there so we can manage them better. Right. And that's exactly what these threat actors are doing. They're getting this tool on here so they can do basically whatever they want. And um, they're not exploiting the tool itself. They're putting the tool in your network so then they can do more damage. And that's yeah, that was the point I was going to make. And I think what's happening. So Action RMM gives 100 endpoints for free. Um so you can start using it and start getting used to it. And that's what they're doing. That, and they're abusing that free trial system, if you will. Which they always and, do. And then they can have 100 agents. They don't have to do a credit card or give away any real personal information and can just start using it. So I remember Conti did this with Anydesk and Aterra. Yep. I, I remember. Um, the article and, mentions that as well. And... I know Manage Engine's been affected. Zoho's been affected in the past, as I mentioned, Kaseya. Um, you know, so they like to get these tools on your network. And I don't know, guys. Like, I kind of feel like we're in a place now where you got to know when this stuff gets installed on your network. You got to be looking for it. And you got somebody's got to be alerted to the fact that somebody just installed a tool like this on your network. Oh. Is that? oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, hopefully it's just blocking the first place where someone just can't. But yes, right. if, if it is, then then you got to know. And there's got to be audits on your systems. Someone looking at least at least quarterly um, just to see like a change audit, just to see if there's anything that may have um, passed all your security tools. And that's what I was going to say as well, is right. if you're only allow only, that's really the bedrock core principle that we call zero trust and you know there's a lot of aspects of that one of those is you only allow processes to run that you implicitly trust and if you haven't allowed it then you you just don't allow it so we had something get flagged somebody plugged in a uh, on a mac they plugged in a western digital hard drive which had western digital software um, that wanted to run and Sentinel one, you know, because it's it was also hacked this week. Sentinel one freaked out about it. And I told our sock just, just to keep it blocked because we didn't, we didn't allow it in the first place. So, you know, that's the kind of attitude that you have to have. So stuff, if it's not in, if it's not specifically allowed, just, just don't worry about it. And that's, that would be the case here. You know, if someone tried to install action RMM, it's not allowed. So the installer is not going to run from the first place. But I like what Andre said. Also, you know, do an audit from time to time. What's changed? What's new? Yeah. So uh, Mike Walters, the co-founder of Action One, uh, told Bleeping Computer that the company introduced last year is system based on artificial intelligence 
to detect abnormal user behavior and to prevent hackers from using the platform for malicious purposes. Clearly, that's not working really well. Um, at the same time, I would like to emphasize that these attacks do not target the action one user since our platform has not been compromised. So here's my question. Is it, is it okay? Is it moral, ethically correct to, in the name of like selling more software to offer trials for tools like this? Like, I don't know. Like, and I don't know anything about how you get action one. I'm going to assume that you just go to a website, yep. fill out a form, yep. hit submit, and yep. you have the installer and you can start setting up your, your RMM server it or you, like. you have a cloud instance. I don't even know how they work, nor do I care. But either way, that's how it works. If it's that easy to set up an instance where I can then start putting agents on computer and start doing things... Um, do you think that that's appropriate in today's day and age? Or do you think somebody at action one should like have a conversation with the person, see what their business is, look into them a little bit, like get on the phone with an actual salesperson or maybe some kind of compliance person just to make sure. I mean, Cobalt, Cobalt strike had to do this. I mean, like their tool was just way too powerful for people to be downloading right. and, and firing that off. Right. So, um, what, what, why, why would RMM vendors have to operate differently? Am I, or, or, you know, the standard needs to be set somewhere. I don't even know how yeah. you do it, but you, I don't believe that these companies should be allowed to distribute software this powerful in this manner. That's my platform. Go ahead. I was just going to say that the bar would have to be set really high because let's say they're the, the bad guys are in ABC manufacturing network. Well, you can assume, you know, one of our little, uh, what is it? What is it called? Theorems. One of our little theorems is if they're in, you can assume 365 is borked. So let's assume that the bad guys are in the 365 for ABC manufacturing, which are just made up. Um, well, then now they have an email. So if if they require um, you to have a business email to sign up for Action RMM, obviously that's not going to be enough to stop the bad guys because they're not going to sign up for it anyway until they get access to the, you know, to the 365 domain in the first place, or they might not. Um, You'd have to have some kind of business verification that that a you that a it's bad a guy would business. have. I it's mean, a, it's a legit business, and if you know, that's that's all I ask is that you make sure but, that this is a legit business that you can look up. Can you see that? What is yeah, that? You it? No, I signed up for a trial like literally four minutes ago, and they're already calling me on my phone. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay, all right, all right. They're listening to you, Brian. But I think it's well, they're calling you, but how easy is it for you to get a trial without yeah. like I would act like I don't have a business, I just want to check out your software. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I mean hope but thank God you weren't able to download that, but maybe you have an email that has a link where you can start your trial. I don't know. But or maybe they're already changing their practices because the writing's right. on the wall. Hopefully. Yeah. Who knows? Um, but good stuff, guys. Thanks for your input this week. Another good show. 
Uh, I don't see any comments up there, so we can just wrap it up for today. And uh, remember, share our show or rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. We really appreciate it. And we'll see everyone next week. Bye-bye.